onward to tackling the second epilogue of War and Peace. Tolstoy begins by giving a definition of history. He describes it as the life of nations and humanity. But then, in the very next sentence, the second sentence of the second epilogue, Tolstoy notes the mortal limitation of being able to describe directly and comprehensively the history of any single nation, or the span of humanity. Tolstoy proffers that ancient people had essentially one method to describe the life or history of a people. They described the activities of the people who ruled those societies, and they regarded the activities of those men, those select few, as symbolic of the rest of the group. Therefore, the reader might ask, was Genghis Khan representative of the Mongols? Was Alexander the Great representative of Hellenic culture? Did Julius Caesar adequately symbolize the various cross-sections of Roman society? Tolstoy then moves on to the next question. How did these individuals make their subjects act as they wished? And also, what were these great rulers guided by? Tolstoy notes that the ancients recognized the divinity which subjected each nation to the will of some chosen man. And it was the divinity that guided the will of that chosen man to accomplish ends that were predestined. Quite simply, ancient cultures didn't have to wonder or look for answers as to why things developed or happened as they did. It was because God willed it that way. Or in their view, a stronger God defeated lesser gods. But make no mistake, the ancients believed that deity was involved in human affairs. Tolstoy notes that modern historical thinkers, who were Enlightenment thinkers, reject the ancient precepts of a divinity involved in propelling history. Tolstoy then makes quite a claim. He notes that modern historians... Instead of using a deity, someone above humanity, directing human affairs, historians seem to place the responsibility for grand events directly on great rulers of the time. And naturally, Napoleon, the great force in Tolstoy's novel, was such a figure. Tolstoy proffered that the general approach to determining the cause of historical events had a process that was pretty much unchanged. It was just in place of the deity, there is now a figure like Napoleon, who accounted for why things happen as they do. These are men with great vision or abilities and tremendous wills. They can include kings, military personnel, or journalists, those with the ability to move the masses. And instead of the divinely appointed aims we would associate with Hebrew society, with their monotheistic approach and their covenant between God and God's chosen people, or the Greek and Roman nations, who generally felt that the gods played and controlled the destinies of men and the rise, expansion, and falls of their empires. The aims of societies in the late 18th and early 19th century was the general welfare of a people, whether it be French, Germanic, English, or European society in general. Tolstoy's critique of modern historians and the adulation of leaders involves them being mortal, not gods at all, no special powers, no different than the fellows they lead. He concedes that some may have great leadership qualities, 
and the better ones take into consideration the aims of their peoples, such as self-defense, trade, common needs, and welfare. But his position is that while God's will can never be overemphasized, man's will, especially a leader's will, tends to get overemphasized. One person, a general human being, shouldn't be given too much credit, even in Napoleon. He feels that history tends to overemphasize the contributions of monarchs, generals, ministers, speakers, reformers, philosophers, artists, and other people who are thought to move society. There's not enough focus in Tolstoy's view of the people who make up that society, the masses, and the general collective will of the people. Tolstoy briefly focuses on the momentous events of the year of the French Revolution in 1789, where ideals that were quite revolutionary were spreading rapidly from west to east, and they eventually collided with a counter-movement, most notably the one where the forces of the Russian Empire did their best to unite and repel the invading French army around 1812. When Napoleon was finally on the back foot, counter-forces, including the other and major great European powers, ultimately reached Paris, the place it all began. Within that 22-23 year period, from 1789 to 1812, what history, in a sense, was made? It was a period of tremendous tumult. Millions migrated. And Tolstoy notes that, ironically, millions of Christians, whose religion teaches the profession of love towards one's fellow Christian, slew their brothers on a level Tolstoy believed unknown to history. So Tolstoy wants to get to the point. Why? Why did all these men do that? Was it really because Napoleon said so? Tolstoy doesn't believe that. He wants to place some of the responsibility on the actors involved and the countless decisions which led to the great nations of Europe clashing, as they did then and for more than a century later. More poignantly, Tolstoy had to have his characters answer the question of why men act as they do in making decisions to have war or make peace. Tolstoy then goes back to the ancient cultures and their construct of historical analysis. He found it much simpler. It comes down to God must have acted to reward or punish or teach. In contrast, Enlightenment historians in academia did not admit the direct participation of any deity in human affairs. Historians try to break down a chosen series of events into small parts basically the best they can and try to use rationality in explaining why something occurred something akin to putting together a puzzle with all the small pieces that could be gathered and then what Tolstoy does is he takes the reader through various observations leading up to the French Revolution this included Louis XIV ruling France quite badly New philosophies arising that were critical of the government, the equality movement, people suffering and starving and uniting to overthrow the system violently, the killing of the king, that a particular man of genius who rose through the ranks, Napoleon, was someone who was able to bring order. He gives a bit of Napoleon's experience in history. 
his expedition to Egypt and Africa, which gained him a level of fame and adulation. He became emperor and advanced on many territories and was regarded as a military genius. Tolstoy then takes the reader through Russian Emperor Alexander's history with Napoleon. Then Tolstoy notes how the Allies eventually beat Napoleon and exiled him to Elba. He goes through the back-and-forth relationship between Emperor Alexander and Napoleon, how in 1807 they were friends, in 1811 there was a broken trust, how Napoleon invaded in 1812, how Moscow was abandoned, how Napoleon stayed there three weeks and then left, and his army ultimately abandoned him, and how he was defeated during the retreat. He goes through an abridged version of the whole epic of the period, ending up with Waterloo and Napoleon being exiled to St. Helena. Tolstoy was trying to make the point that he was able to gather this fact and that fact, but he really wants to get to something more. He wants to ask, what is the power that actually moved the people throughout these great events of now more than two centuries ago? He says that that simply is not answered by virtue of the summary that he gave. There's more to it than Napoleon decided to do this and that. Tolstoy desires that historical analysis involve something more. Exploring, scrutinizing, looking for something ineffable or transcendent in the relationship between the ruler and the ruled. He sees the people being ready to mobilize and get up and out there to fight as much a part of the decision to head out to war as the rulers who made the decision and ordered the masses to kill each other. He feels some force, divinely inspired, better explains mass movements than the historian or researcher trying to look back and put little pieces together trying to explain why any of the Napoleonic Wars or the coalition alliances occurred. That is quite a metaphysical approach Tolstoy brings to his second epilogue, and he will explore that in the remaining 11 chapters. The History of 